Welcome to the Vegas Gang Podcast for July 9th, 2009. Uh, excited to be back. Uh, for those that don't listen regularly, this show is an informal conversation between a few guys that happen to be interested in gaming and the casino business. Uh, I was actually just uh, back from a few days at Encore and had a, had a good time. I actually got to see Chuck, which is always a good, always fun. Uh, and one of the one of the highlights, I won't bore you with my trip, but we did get to tour one of their uh, three bedroom duplex apartments that they've got there at Encore, which are pretty amazing. When you walk in uh, the front door and see this two story picture windows uh, looking out over the strip, so um, pretty awesome. If you ever get a chance to stay there, I would recommend it. Um, and yeah, you know we should record a show there sometime. I think that'd be a good venue. <laughs> um, so anyway, I'm going to go around the table and introduce the guys on the show today. So we've got Dr. Dave Schwartz from UNLV's Center for Gaming Research. Good afternoon, Dave. Hey, good afternoon. Jeff Stimson from the Las Vegas Sun and In Business Las Vegas. Welcome, Jeff. Greetings. Chuck Monster from VegasTripping.com. What's happening, Chuck? Hey, how's it going, Hunter? Happy uh, happy belated birthday. Thank you. And uh, my name's Hunter Hilligus. I'm from RateVegas.com. But today we have a special guest, and it is Mr. Rich Moriarty from Union Gaming. Hey, hey, Rich. Hello, everyone. Great to be here. I don't know about special, but uh, glad to be a guest today. <laughs> I, I'm hoping off the, just right off the top you can tell us a little bit about both your background and Union Gaming, because I know Union is a little bit new to the scene, but with some folks that have been doing this stuff for a while. Sure. Now I'm uh, I'm certainly thrilled to be out here. Uh, I recently moved out from uh, from New York City uh, a little over three months ago, and was part of the essentially what was the uh, the, the equity gaming team at Deutsche Bank uh, between myself, uh, my partners Bill Lerner and Grant Govertson, whom I'm sure all of you know, uh, were responsible for research analysis of the various uh, global gaming companies and as well as the underwriting of many of the transactions and a lot of the uh, the facilities you hear you see here in the Las Vegas strip in terms of getting those guys money to build those projects out so a little over a year ago we started to talk about growing a a big fully distributed business service company that now not only was going to be research and analysis, but also move into the government category and corporate category doing feasibility work, and then longer term kind of look out as the investment banking landscape has been forever changed um, in the events that we've seen over the last couple of years. We felt like, you know, at a certain point we could be a real player uh, in the advisory business, which would ultimately look like a small investment bank when it, uh, when it gets out the door. Great. And how's it going so far? So far, it's going, it's going well. I mean, I think when, when we originally left, people thought we were crazy, uh, given where we're at, given where we're at the cycle and, and, uh, you know, looking at a lot of these companies and their capital needs, they felt like, you know, we were going to go out there and, uh, and immediately fall flat on our face. And what we found is actually the total opposite, the need for expertise the need for understanding, the need for having a local player in the market um, to work not only with you know with our our institutional clients and uh, and the investment community, but also the corporate folks here. Uh, we're you know we're off to a great site, and we're excited about all three businesses. Excellent. Um, question for you, actually, I just was thinking now. Don't you make is ending up with a stake in the Cosmo right due to their due to the uh, the way that the funding worked out and, and their bankruptcy. Did that, did that have any impact on your guys' decision to, to uh, start, go out on your own? 
No, no as a matter as a matter of fact, the, as, they do own the actual the, the project outright. Um, they ended up owning that through a through a bankruptcy uh, when ultimately um, there was a failure to be able to pay make the payments. Um, so they do own it. They do plan on opening it. But that was something that took place more on the corporate level. They used you know they spent a lot of time with us on advice. You know what the mixed use condo hotel market looked like. Uh, but they plan to uh, to fully move forward. But it had it had no impact on our decision. We felt like being at a big bank. There was a lot of things that we weren't able to do that ultimately ended up being in conflict. Uh, we just felt like on our, on our own, there's a heck of a lot more flexibility to, a lot of, to do a lot of unique things. Um, and the timing, given what's taken place on the street in the last year, there was no better time than, to go out, than now to go out on our own. Great. Well, it's great to have you, um, for sure. I mean, I, I know uh, you guys are definitely out there all the time. I think I see uh, your, your partner, Bill, quoted almost as much as uh, Dr. Dave here. <laughs> Basically, every article about gaming, and there's a quote from one or two of the, both of those guys. So. Yeah, they're, they're, they're great partners. And I think, you know, one of, our, one of the biggest messages for us is, you know, we wanted to run towards the industry when there was, you know, consensus and a number of folks running away from it. We felt like the contrarian play was going to be the one longer term that was going to pay dividends in, in so many different ways. So we're pumped to be here and, and, and glad to be of help to anybody we can. Awesome. Cool. Well, um, the first thing that I wanted to talk about today was uh, leverage buyouts. And this is prompted by an article that was in The Sun. Um, basically, looking back at the 2006 buyouts of both station casinos and Harris where, um, for those that aren't familiar, private equity firms came in and uh, took them private with the eventual goal, uh, would as, one would assume, of cutting some costs and make, doing, reorganizing a few things and then eventually taking them public again, um, hopefully making a profit. But since then, the economy has soured significantly, and uh, we've seen Station file for bankruptcy, and uh, Harris hasn't, but uh, from what we hear, they're asking their bondholders to renegotiate and trying to avoid that. Um, both companies have laid off employees in, in Nevada and elsewhere. So what I'm wondering is, looking back now, um, you know, were these good deals, and that may be an easy question to answer, but were they good for anybody? And if so, who? Did anybody benefit from these other than the, other than the bankers taking the fees? Any thoughts on that from, from anybody? Uh, uh, sure. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, jump in. I'm, I'm glad to take a uh, to crack at. It. I mean, look, looking back on it now, it's incredibly easy to say, you know, that these were these were bad deals. Um, but if you go rewind the tape and look at the availability of capital at that given point in time, the opportunity to grow these businesses globally without the opinion and scrutiny in the public market, rather than looking at it from a standpoint of you know, leverage up the business, rip cost out of it, and spin it back out. I think for these guys, it was a case of ability to lever up the businesses and actually grow globally and not have to answer to the public forum. So they, these guys look at it very, it was, it was very, very opportunistic. The opportunity set, given what was going on in Macau at the time, Singapore at the time, Philippines, Taiwan were certainly on the table. They looked at it like, God Almighty, we've got an unbelievable opportunity. Capital is cheap. Now's the time to do this, and ultimately we'll come out the other side with a massive global business. Unfortunately, you know, the credit markets and what's uh, gone on in the consumer world is now, you know, has reason for all of us to take a pause and look back and say, God Almighty, why would we ever do, you know, why were those deals ever done? 
But right. these, you know, the operate the operators don't look at it like that. Now, based on, you know, I'd be also be interested to get your opinion on this. I mean, given how these deals have gone with the benefit of hindsight, uh, are we going to see more of these down the road? I mean, I, I doubt anyone's considering one, you know, this week. But as things inevitably get better, uh, will will these sort of buyouts return to gaming somewhere down the line? I, I think it's going to be an awful, awful long time before you see that because what you're not going to have for a long time is, the, you know, banks and lenders out there uh, with being willing and open to applying that sort of leverage on these businesses again. So I, 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 I can't see it for a long time. I, I agree totally with what Richard said, but I would put a caveat in there that I think there is a, a missing element um, that Liz's story didn't really address. I think the, what she was um, talking about was that it was it a was it a bu- as a business decision did it make sense? And I think that um, from the players' perspectives, it did. There certainly were additional. Um, LBOs that um, were also that have also proven to be tough. Um, you have the uh, you know the Stratosphere and uh, Arizona Charlies and uh, the property in Laughlin, the uh, Aquarius. You have the uh, the Tropicana and, and the rest of Aztar being taken over. Um, both deals, uh, particularly the Aztar deal, uh, sort of a, a flaming failure. Um, but to me, the big, the 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 missing element here is whether regulators should approve these kind of deals, and that's a different. It's a different question. It's not. Um, unfortunately, Nevada's regulators have sort of devolved into a um, whatever attracts the most capital into the state, whatever makes capital happy is good for our business, and I think that that is, uh, that is a short-sighted perspective. Um, our regulators are exceptionally powerful. Um, you don't have to look too far back in history to see, you know, it, was, it wasn't that long ago um, when our, um, our businesses weren't allowed to own um, properties out of state. Um, and, you know, it was called foreign gaming, and that didn't mean out of the United States. It meant out of Nevada. Um, and um, we've seen our regulators grow. Um, you know, they really, um, when it comes to these kind of decisions, are a rubber stamp for the for the industry. Um, any anything that you know the, the, that a business wants to do like this, particularly the, the bigger they are, the more likely it is for regulators to say it's fine with us. Um, I think that it, that has proven to be a colossal mistake. Um, they, do, they do have the ability to say, look, you're over-leveraged. This is the kind of thing that can cost jobs. Um, you know, the businesses will say, look, the capital can go elsewhere, and it can, but it's not going anywhere where there's a 6.75% um, interest rate. Uh, I mean, 6.75% tax rate. Um, It's not going anywhere where you have the collection of resorts that we have on the Strip. Um, And I think that in some of these cases, particularly um, the the Harris case, um, I think that, um, you know, that, that there, there were, there were steps that regulators could have taken um, to make sure that, um, you know, workers and properties were better protected than they were. Well, that's that's a 
you basically answered the question that I was going to ask next was, you know, did these regulators have a responsibility to do something about it, especially when you look at it from the perspective of what did most of these deals ultimately lead to? I mean, they don't, you know, they they have the ability to do things that Wall Street might not like, right? Well, what does that usually mean? Can be making more long-term investments, but also can, in a lot of cases, at least based on my admittedly somewhat limited uh, historical knowledge, it, you know, it means getting rid of some people and <clears throat> efficiencies and that sort of thing. So, I mean, it, is it good for the industry? I don't know. And I'm I mean, glad you spoke to that. When this it, deal, when this deal was approved, Harris had this giant um, east side of the strip redevelopment project that they had planned. And uh, now they now they had probably started backing off on it a little by the time the deal actually was consummated because the economy had started turning a little bit. Um, even before the deal went from announced to 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 accomplished but the um you know they had planned it would have been a massive massive reinvestment and i think gary loveman rightfully felt that wall street wasn't appreciating the potential upside potential of um what his vision was for the east side of the strip and so you know, I think from his perspective and from the uh, private equity partners that he lined up, um, you know, they felt like with some spending, I mean, they, they, it was a tough problem for them to do even in good times because they had these massive cash flow producing older properties there. Um, as, as decrepit as it is, the Imperial Palace throws off a lot of money every year, as does Flamingo, as does Harris. And so they're, you know, and so they were going to have trouble. They were going to be, you know, shutting off the cash flow spigot for a few years and spending a bunch to accomplish whatever they wanted to do. So it was a very, it was going to be a very tough, you know, sort of obstacle course for them to get through to figure out how to do it without disrupting the cash that they needed to start paying down the debt. It was going to be very difficult to do in good times and, you know, obviously impossible during this time. I think that regular, regulators owed it to themselves to sort of test the, the, what Harris' plan was against a range of possible scenarios. And from my perspective, what Harris planned was only possible under the best scenario. Even moderately, moderately worse scenarios would have proven implausible, and certainly the the um, you know what happened made it impossible. Yeah, and also to keep in mind whether you know the regulators were were either at fault or not. I mean, these guys also didn't have the luxury of historical perspective. I mean, we if you look at the consumer, uh, you know, when's the last time have we been truly in a consumer-led recession? I would actually take you back to the 70s, even, you know, not, not even willing to concede 90-91. And also, we've argued forever up until this cycle that uh, gaming is recession-proof that it actually should work counter-cyclical, uh, that in periods of tough time will actually expand gaming. So they bumped up against a couple of market dynamics that you know we had never seen in the past. Well, Rich, it's, it's interesting you say that. I just uh, presented a paper at the International Conference on Gambling and Risk-Taking about gambling being recession-proof in the 80s, and it's funny. I found quotes from pretty much every economic crisis since 78 with people saying, you know what, we don't think gambling's recession-proof anymore. And it's really funny, you know, 78, 82, mm -hmm. 91, 2001, 
and now. So it's kind of funny. It seems like people have the idea that it is, but when push comes to shove, maybe it isn't. Right. We're definitely seeing, uh, you know, all of these kind of maxims tested in ways that they've never been tested before. And I guess we'll be rewriting the book coming out of this thing, hopefully. Hopefully that hopefully that rewriting takes place sooner rather than later and this thing uh, ends and things start getting back to normal. Um, moving moving beyond uh, these LBOs, I want to talk uh, more broadly about the uh, 2009 May gaming figures. And, um, you know, the state publishes this information. Always interesting to see the trends. Um, Dr. Dave, as usual, you have put together uh, a nice little post explaining um, what you're tracking. Can you give us a quick play-by-play about uh, what happened this time around? Yeah, pretty much the numbers were not as bad as they've been. Um, the big gain on the strip was Baccarat, which went up almost 40%, which is a pretty big increase. Um, that was a pretty big deal. Partially, it's because the win percentage went up. It only went up by about 2%. 2%, even if the win percentage hadn't gone up, they would have won about $12 million more in uh Baccarat. So it's a pretty good month for the high end. Not so good for slots. Slots are pretty much down except for Megabucks. That's the only one that was up. And it looks like penny slots are starting to become a little bit less effective. I'm kind of charting how the win per machine has fallen about $1,000 in the last year. So Still, they're doing penny slots are doing better than quarters, but they're not doing as great as they were a year ago. So that, that's what I took away from it. Not not really any significantly good news, but it could have been a lot worse. Is basically what I'm what I'm hearing. No, and I think you know for the properties opening like Aria, I think it's a good sign that there seems to be more baccarat play. You know, it's legitimately there was a lot more. There was about a hundred million dollars more played in baccarat pits in the strip, which is good news. You know, that means that there's a lot more money out there, and that means potentially there is the demand for more high end product. Um, you know, It'll remember. Be- Interesting to see if that actually happens, if they do grow that high end of the market with yet another luxury property. A little more macro, um, the, you know, people are saying, uh, you know, the, the, the percentage drop off, first single digit one in a few, in a, in a few months. Um, I mean, we've had almost a full year and a half of mostly double digit drops. This one, uh, only two thirds of 10%, what was it, six, um, um, the total state gaming number, I think, down like eight or something like that. Um, the uh, eight point three four, um, you know. But you got these better comparisons all year long. So, if if we were a double digit on double digit, in other words, this year's double digit drop on top of last year's, you know, that would really be bad. I mean, it's bad enough. You know, you have a very soft comparison. Almost every month this year, we're going to have pretty soft comparisons, and yet. You know, 8% is not, you know, I mean, it would have been the biggest, you know, drop by far since 2002 all the way through 2007. Um, So, you know, we shouldn't be celebrating in the streets either. I'm I'm curious. um, One of uh, my followers on Twitter was uh, hoping that – wanted to see if we get some predictions from, from you guys. Uh, you know, when are we going to see an uptick in gaming and occupancy? I, I realize that you know that can go either way, but do, do you guys are you guys starting to feel as you watch these numbers and, and other metrics? I mean, are you starting to feel like uh, the uh, 
the bleeding is is starting to slow down, and that uh, it's we're going to have it see it turn around. And, and will that happen this year? I have two. There's two conflicting things for me. The possibility of a double dip recession is my big worry. Um, but if uh, if um, the economy stays where most economists have predicted, with you know some kind of partial or or recovery by the end of this year, early next year. Um, I think that the opening of city center should at least be a spur to some marginal business. Some new business should excite folks in some way. Um, I remain hopeful that that will happen. So I'm going to say first quarter next year uh, should be um, the um, should be a positive. We should be starting to see positive numbers. Um, I would say that, you know, if, uh, you know, I mean, then again, we're going to have the benefit of two consecutive bad years of comparisons helping next year's comparison. But I'm going to say starting positive January um, 2010. I'm going to put Rich on the spot since he's our guest and ask him that same question. Sure. We Actually, we look at this uh, in two ways, and I think uh, we would also agree first positive sign will be the early part of next year. I would probably go out to the spring before we move positive uh, rather than January. But what we're most interested in is how far out the stocks are going to discount this sort of recovery. One thing that we watch very closely in this environment is housing data matters a ton to us, as does the unemployment rate. Generally, the broader market will start to discount six months in advance of a trough in unemployment, so we continue to watch that. I actually think this cycle, these stocks are going to be willing to make this bet earlier than ever before. So we actually are going to be looking for these stocks to make a pretty decent move uh, sometime in front of uh, in front of the fall time frame as they start to anticipate discount, uh, you know, recovery in the cycle out here. As far as um... – as far as, and just as an adjunct to that, as far as these, game, these major gaming companies, uh, you know, would you? And this is a pretty broad question for someone in your business. I mean, if you were going to buy one of these one of these stocks today, who, where would you want to be? And with regards to one of these companies, I mean, who's showing the most potential for upside? Well, I've got to be I've got to be a little bit careful here. Sure. So this is this is Rich, this is Rich Moriarty, the individual, right? Uh, talking about where he would put his money. It's not investment advice. This is not investment advice, but if I were buying a stock today, I'd be looking for something uh, that is beaten down, totally washed out, um, expectations are incredibly low, and has a negative, uh, you know, a lot of negative sentiment swooning around, mm-hmm. which leads us, you know, directly to MGM. I mean, mm-hmm. at this point, no, anything that City Center does, in my belief, is going to be better than you know what's been printed in the in the uh, in the periodicals over the last two years. I mean, we've all heard every story about ADR and occupancy, cannibalizing their own business, too much supply at the high end. Uh, you know, I actually believe that you know anything is going to be an upside surprise, and the fact that they were able to raise two and a half billion dollars of capital in pretty tough environment is going to buy them enough time to actually start to do transactions, whether it be asset sales that are actually deleveraging to the company and also do some creative transactions that are much higher margin in which they ultimately don't own the asset, 
but are operating it. And those are terrific, high visibility, high margin businesses, uh, very similar to what we saw, you know, to the four, you know, in companies like the Four Seasons in the past. So I think you're going to see, you know, see those guys start to move towards that model. And given what this, where the stock is today and what it's pricing in, I think you've got, you know, the risk reward looks terrific here. Just to layer one more question on top of that, since we've got mm -hmm. you. Um, last week we talked about City Center and MGM Mirage and. Just in retrospect, their ability to put together that financing without having to make into without any fire sale um, with regards to some of their other assets, did that surprise you? I mean, did, did go, four or five months ago, were you one of the guys thinking that MGM was going to have to sell something to make it through? Well, we 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 spent an awful lot of time on that, and, and we did believe that you were going to see them. You were going to see uh, you know rough and like transactions mm -hmm. with the Treasure Island. The problem is, is if you looked at what those buyers were willing to pay, whether it be for assets, you know, in Tunica or Detroit or here on the south end of the Strip, it wouldn't have actually helped the company. They needed to do deals anywhere from seven and a half, eight times, nine times, ten times to actually deleverage the balance sheet. And what the buyers were willing to pay, it would have given them some short-term capital, but actually wouldn't have put them in more favorable position with the lenders. So, you know, we were very, very nervous about the ability for these guys to do a deal that was ultimately deleveraging in this environment. And the fact that they were able to take advantage of the capital markets, the capital markets window this spring was so narrow and was only open for the better part of, you know, 45 to 60 days, what they pulled off is, uh, is absolutely spectacular because they didn't have a lot of time to do it. And if the company were sitting in the same position today, it would be a lot more problematic because the capital markets have ultimately closed again in front of earnings. Well, it's, I mean, that's uh, from this layman's perspective, I, mean, I definitely got the feeling that they had pretty much pulled off a, a minor coup with, uh, with how they, ma they managed to make it work. I mean, it, it just seemed pretty amazing to me that they were able to pull it off. It, it was. I'll, I'll tell you what, most of these times we'll have a pretty good feel or, or have done enough work to get a look at. Uh, in understanding the bank facilities, right, what ultimately the banks are going to want from these guys, you, more often than not we have a pretty good feel whether somebody's going to make it to the other side. And with, with MGM, I mean, it, for, you know, right up until that deal was done, it was not clear in what direction it was going to go. So, you know, we're certainly thrilled that they were able to, to, uh, to get through it. Yeah, no, definitely very good for, for the city and the state. And uh, City Center is an exciting project. I know that our listeners are very excited to see what, uh, what ARIA and its, uh, and its neighbors are going to bring to the Strip. So that's going to be pretty cool. Um, beyond numbers, Las Vegas stands, uh, who's sometimes been a punching bag of mine, um, they're talking about potentially restarting uh, development in Macau. And actually, I think a story in the RJ today where, where your colleague was quoted talking about a potential spinoff for an IPO to raise some money so that they can go back to Macau and, um, and restart some of their halted development projects. So, you know, my question is this. Is this the right move for Las Vegas Sands right now? Is this too soon? Should they be holding off? And do visitation numbers in Macau justify continuing to add supply to the market, we just saw City of Dreams open, and um, you know the, the numbers seem a, l a little bit soft. Uh, is is it wise to get more of these rooms in the pipeline again um, with the way that things are going? Any thoughts on that from the crew? I would defer to Richard. I, what do you think, Richard? Oh uh, well, I'm, I'm always glad to take another swing. I, I think 
I mean, one of the things about the, the City of Dreams opening and what's gone on in the last couple of months, let's keep in mind that you've had fairly tight visa restrictions in, in, in and out of Macau, right? So you haven't had, I think the visitation scheme has been off for the better part of six months. And with a new chief executive coming in, I think you're going to see those open up because the last thing that they're going to do, Beijing would do, in our opinion, is not give them a pretty good tailwind to start to get people back. Uh, into the region. And also you've got, you know, keep in mind you've got uh, the Marina Bay Sands coming online in Singapore. And given what, you know, given the tax rate there and what they're talking about in terms of commission caps, um, you know, it's going to be an incredibly competitive market. So I don't think they're going to put that, uh, that region at a disadvantage going into, uh, going into those things. So I think in Sheldon's case, if we can raise a couple of billion dollars in the form of a Hong Kong listing, as well as do something with the shopping malls, um, you know, it's going to give him, you know, terrific, terrific flexibility to bring, to bring on capacity in a market that we're, you know, we're, we continue to be very excited about. It's interesting to think of, you know, if if they would be proceeding with that plan if Bill Widener was still there, and whether or not this was one of those issues that was sort of a wedge between them. Right. No way to know, I guess. But hopefully, one of these days, uh, Widener will go on the record on, with some of the details <laughs> because I'm sure it'd be a pretty interesting story. <laughs> He's got an interesting book to write at some point. Yeah, no doubt uh, about it. Hunter, you know this this uh, discussion about about investments and. Uh, IPOs and whatnot with LVS related to Macau and selling the uh, the, uh, the shopping malls there. This has been going on for you know about two years. It seems like every two months, every three months, this trial balloon thing kind of gets floated. So I don't I, I don't know if, if really we, we should even be considering taking it seriously at this point. Mm-hmm. You know how. When do we know that they're actually serious saying this? Because they keep mentioning, oh, we're going to do this. Oh, we're going to do this. They invited bankers from everywhere to go to the Venetian about uh, 10 months ago or so. Uh, actually, it was, it was maybe a little longer than that. It was probably about four or five months before uh, Widener uh, quit, fired, fill-in-the-blank uh, happened. You know, And they keep doing this. So I understand that, that you know the, the Marina Bay Sands is coming December whatnot. The building's kind of done, and Sheldon loves to put all his chips out on the table. But uh, which would be smarter, building more supply or more capacity in Macau, finishing the St. Regis, or finding some other places where they can uh, uh, put their money, like finishing out the uh, the, uh, the Pennsylvania project and whatnot? Well, certainly the St. Regis would be the worst of those alternatives given the glut of unsold condominium capacity on the strip. I mean, it may be that three, five years down the road, that's something that they could do from my perspective. Um, but, you know, uh, the capacity thing in Macau, if, if and I, I suspect that Richard is correct, that the Chinese um, government is not going to want a new uh, enclave uh, executive, chief executive succeeding Edmund Ho to come in in a, uh, in a tough environment. Um, a little relaxation would go a long way there. Um, the uh, Las Vegas Sands is consistently one of the top two competitors. Um, and as um, people become more used to Kotai and used to using the Kotai ferries and all that kind of stuff, um, it should prove um, to be a good thing for them. Um, more, you know, more. You know, to me, um, I think that you know, I, I am, I, I remain very bullish on Macau. Um, you know, there, obviously there are worries. The, 
you know, the political, you know, the macro political issues, um, you know, would, would cause some concern. But the the propensity of folks there to gamble, um, you know, to me outweighs it. Um, I think uh, the Las Vegas operators, you know, I, I'm sure that they're all happy to be in Macau. And, uh, you know, they just want to do better than they have been. But, um you know, to me, Las Vegas Sands situated pretty well. The big question mark for that company, in my mind, is Singapore. Um, how many people are going to go to Singapore to gamble? There's a lot of people already who, in the area who go to Genting Highlands in uh, Malaysia. Um, uh, I, I, I think that, you know, whether it's the Marina Bay Sands, whether it's the uh, the product that um uh, Genting is building um, uh, just off of um, Singapore. Um, to me, those the, the the big question is how will people respond? Are they going to flock there like they did in Macau when you know the sand first opened um, in Macau? If they get a really robust response like that, and I know locals they have to pay some real draconian fee to gamble, um, so it's not really going to be. A, I mean, Singapore. Singaporeans have to pay. I think it's like seventy bucks or some very onerous amount to gamble yep. per day, um, and, and that that causes me some concern. But hopefully, you know the 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 tourist market will be big enough. But you know I don't know that it will. So I, you know to me that's the big question mark. If Singapore opens robust. The company is in great shape. If Singapore opens and stays slow, you know, I think it's a lead balloon. So, you know, that to me, that is the variable that matters. I don't have doubts about Macau. I believe in the, you know, eventual comeback of Las Vegas. But Singapore is the variable I, I will be keeping my eye on. And to echo that, I mean, we're in the game of expectations and what's priced in and what's not priced in. Expectations for Singapore are incredibly high. And a lot of that was, you know, Sheldon and Bill at the time talking about how big of a market and a project it was going to be in the best location versus what Genting was doing. Um, it's it's hard for us to get to the numbers that they're talking about in Singapore right now. Is is Singapore a bet-the-company thing for Las Vegas Sands at this point? No. No, I, I mean, look, they've got you know they've got seven thousand rooms, seventy one hundred rooms here on the strip. They're very, very well positioned in uh, in Macau. Um, you could also see them doing you know some sort of sale lease back with the Sands in Macau. Uh, there's some of the parcels there. I mean, they're they're I think they're they're pretty flexible. So it is. I, I don't see you know Singapore. Um, you know, being a bust and putting the company at risk, uh, it certainly will put pressure on the stock, which has had a nice move off the bottom uh, from earlier this year. With regards to with regards to them using their retail to potentially raise some capital, uh, I mean, have those deals really worked out well when they've done them in Las Vegas? My understanding is enormous. I mean, I know I, were... The company made a lot of money, but as far as the other end of the transaction, I mean, uh, there are <clears throat> the. You mean how does general growth do? Right. <laughs> yeah, I was just getting, yeah. Oh, the other guys. I mean, the other guys. You can see you can see the shape that they're in. No, at the time the strategy was brilliant, right? You're, you're ultimately ripping down your development costs right. uh, massively to do those deals. Unfortunately, they don't exist anymore. The, well, the 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 net the return on Venetian and Palazzo's retail um, would have been more than the price paid to build Venetian. 
Um, so, I mean, I think it was one and a half billion, you know, give or take a hundred million. And, you know, that is phenomenal. Um, I think in terms of results, Grand Canal Shops, um, you know, was very strong as the decade got better and better. Um, and, you know, like all retail, there's been a, uh, uh, some retrenchment there, but Palazzo's retail, not the case. Um, from what I understand and from what everybody's telling me, um, times are very tough there. They have had to, uh, you know, um, from what I understand, renegotiate some leases. I would not be surprised if, uh, um, if, you know, there are some high profile, uh, vacancies. Um, I'm sure they're doing everything they can to keep Barney's there because that was really, that's really the, uh, the anchor there. Um, they don't have the same number, um, as Grand Canal Shops has. So Barney's was, the, was is critical. Um, and then in terms of Macau, that retail, that was another thing that they had hoped that they could sell. It's a great idea if you can get somebody in times when capital is available to do that. Um, it's fantastic. Um, Steve Wynn would disagree with that. Steve Wynn, you know, doesn't want to give up control of any of his property, whether it's for condos or retail or anything else. Uh, but, but I think, uh, you know, from, from Sand's perspective, had the economy stayed solid, had general growth stayed solid, um, you know, it would have been a, uh, you know, would have been the best deal, one of the best deals ever. I think Sands made off like bandits, but yeah, that's what I'm really getting at is who would they find to do a deal like that in Macau these days? It's a it's a great. It's, I don't know enough about some of the local partners, but I, you know it was it was mentioned on this call earlier. Uh, you know, do you really believe that they're going to get anything done? I mean, Sheldon at our at the Deutsche Conference back in March was talking about unloading the shopping malls, and he had you know cap rates that he was or was not willing to uh, to trade at. Uh, yet nothing's happened. So, in in us talking to some of the other guys over there, they actually believe it's impossible that they're going to be able to sell them all square footage. So yeah. we kind of we go back and forth on it. Well, a piece to throw into yeah, the go ahead, here. Uh, with uh, maybe Rich has a little more information on this, but uh, it's pretty apparent that the uh, Macau Studio City thing is is pretty much kaput. And Tobman yep. was a huge investor into the mall. They basically bought that mall, you know, on spec. Of the property, so possibly you know since there really hasn't been too much actual investment except for contracts, you know, and selling space in advance, you know they might be willing to sort of walk away from this half investment they've made there, you know, if they really want to get into the Macau uh, business and buy it there. So maybe this whole thing is a play to LVS from LVS to try and get them to buy to buy the mall there next door. Who knows? I mean, it, it you know definitely seems like it could go. It seems like there are deals to be made if there are deal makers to be had. I mean, <laughs> yeah. You know, um, speaking, keeping on the retail tip, Jeff, you mentioned before we started, um, you've got a story coming out uh, talking about MT Mirage retail at City Center at the Crystals. Do you want to tell us a little bit about um, what uh, you're writing about? Well, they announced um, the company announced Monday some of the. Uh, you know, high-end retailers that will be there. And, you know, the daily newspapers pretty much just, you know, ran lists of the stores in there, you know, pretty much from soup to nuts, all the places you'd see in Via Bellagio and 
and you know win Esplanade or um, uh, and the forum shops, the super high end um, retailers. There are a few that are new to Las Vegas, but um, what differentiates them is that there's uh, a lot of these places are going to have really big um, outlets here, a place that will enable them to carry a lot more inventory. Um, MGM Mirage retail people are hopeful that that will entice. Uh, people to think of City of Crystals as a shopping destination, uh, even more so than some of their other outlets. You know, Los Angelinos already have Rodeo Drive and South Coast Plaza and other kind of uh, other um, high-end retail where they can go. Um, but they, but by building, you know, sort of bigger stores in the in Crystals, they're hoping that. Um, that will be an attraction. But one of the things that I found most interesting is that MGM um, told me, and this will be in uh, in business that comes out tomorrow morning, um, the they had to do some pretty severe concessions to get these folks in. Um, you know, they're they're marketing. You know, the incredible uh, Daniel Liebeskin. Uh, you know, exterior architecture. Um, Rockwell interior architecture. The look of the place, obviously dramatic, pretty much cooler. Hard to say that it won't be. Anybody who's been on the Strip recently looks at, you know, the the, the Crystal's architecture, and it's obviously very dramatic. Um, a pretty, you know, cool location to be. Can't beat the proximity to the Strip. So uh, and, and uh, to a bunch of very, uh, you know, very strong and big hotels right around there. Um, but. Um, what they did was um, retailers. So, so, so the architecture is a big lure, but in this economy, that's that wasn't enough. Um, and so, what they did was um, typically high-end retail uh, is um, leased on a uh, per, on a square foot basis, um, with some uh, some capture for the uh, lesser for MGM. Um, and Tobin acts as their, as their lesser, but it's MGM's mall. Um, they, they have some ability to capture um, excess um, sales over a certain amount. They might get a percentage above, you know, X dollars, um, above and beyond their uh, regular lease payment. Those are the kind of things that prove to be uh, such a windfall for Simon at the forum shops and, uh, um, and for general growth at Grand Canal shops. And for and for general growth at fashion show, um, what's happening and what, what's happening at Crystals is MGM um, because some of these retailers are skittish. Many of them from overseas, looking at U.S. and uh, Las Vegas news stories, they were sort they were certainly worried. And uh, MGM um, eliminated the cost per square foot. Um, uh, lease, leasing for many of these places, they're going on a strict percentage basis. So in effect, MGM is, um, you know, doubling down on its own investment with confident that these places will attract customers and that they've lined up the right kind of retailers to actually sell and eliminating some of the downside risk for the, for the retailers, um, the retailers giving up, um, a, a bigger percentage from dollar one. Um, but, but not having um, as much risk if sales are slow. So, uh, you know, that's, I think that's pretty much, you know, that is a, uh, a very dramatic change, but it shows that MGM really believes in that property um, in city center and in the crystals. Um, and, and secondly, I think that um, you've got to look at the impact on that on crystals 
just like the impact of the entirety of city center, what's it going to be on the high end of the market? Um, you know, people have already been talking about room rate, um, you know, uh, room capacity, cannibalization for, for MGM. They obviously own the most capacity on the strip when it comes to room, when it comes to rooms, gaming position. Um, but in retail, they only, you know, they have Via Bellagio and a little bit of retail at MGM Grand. They're, in a, they're not in a position to suffer as much from retail cannibalization. Um, forum shops, fashion show, and the Sands properties that are run by General Growth. Um, it's probably not going to have too much effect on the place across the street. Two just two separate markets, Miracle Mile, much more mid-market. But uh, I think that you know. So my, so what I tried to do with my story is make it a more standard business story. Look at the money situation. I think that um, it, it, it it's probably going to have a negative effect, at least in the short term, on some of these other high-end retailers as this place takes some business. Um, certainly, MGM voting with voting for its own. Uh, belief and its own vision by willing to do these uh, new kinds of lease deals. Um, so I think it's, you know, for, for me personally, um, I have been very excited by City Center for a long time. And one of the most exciting things, I think, is the crystals, the look of the place right on the strip. It, I expect it to be pretty dynamic. You know, I, I'm never one to count Las Vegas out. I mean, time and time again, it, it uh <clears throat> The, the demand seems to surge to to meet supply, but man, <laughs> a, lo a lot of stuff coming online in a pretty tough time. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. <laughs> mm -hmm. At least those buildings are going to going to be there for quite a long time. Well, that's cool. I'm definitely going to look for that story because, um, yeah, as you said, you know, most of the other coverage was just basically a parroting of the press release with regards to uh, who was going to be in the mall. So it's interesting to see that they had to make some pretty serious concessions. It'll be interesting to see if also if they end up, you know, what their renegotiating uh, strategy will be down the line if if things do do well, or what they'll have to give up to keep people there if they don't. If that will, if they'll have to uh, have to make even more concessions down the road. Um, one last one last thing I want to touch on since we've got Rich, and that's just a, a quick uh, quick look at the Tropicana. Um, and what uh, you know, w whether you guys are optimistic or pe pessimistic about um, what's going to be going on there with new management and some uh, and some new uh, capital to fix the place up. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I think one of the one of the keys to that project is you know, yeah, I, I would personally argue that it's one of the best single best locations on the Las Vegas Strip, and given what they're talking about for you know, kind of style of property where they're going to position it. I think they're positioning it in a market that, you know, that sorely needs it. I mean, we're, we're, we really, really need a lot of kind of mid to lower end supply out here, given the face of what's coming online, starting in, you know, starting with, uh, with city center. So, you know, I, I think, you know, there will be, you know, some return on, uh, on that capital. It's hard to tell uh, how much, but given the, the position they're talking about for it, uh, you know, they should be okay. We shall see. Um, hopefully, you know they, they're getting uh, some some uh, new management in place, and it would be a shame to uh, to have them go further down downhill. I was actually was just in the Tropicana um, on uh, Tuesday night, and let's just say they need all the money they can get. <laughs> they can replace it, it, as carpet as possible. That's good. Uh, it was hard to believe it could actually get worse with a hundred million dollars in fresh capital, and uh, and some folks that have some operating experience. Yeah. So no, I think you're you're probably right there. 
All right, guys, I think that's going to be it. I want to give a big thank you for Rich for being here and adding, um, you know, your expertise to the mix. It's always great to uh, talk to uh, a professional, and uh, you know, you get, you guys stare at this stuff all day long, so you have insights that uh, are very interesting. Well, look, this is you know we're uh, we're thrilled to do it. We're you know we're glad to uh, to help out where we can. And, uh, you know, we're excited. We couldn't be more excited to have the business up and running. And, you know, just a, a quick plug, uh, if I may, we're actually officially launching our research business, uh, it looks like, early next week. Two of, the, two of the three businesses have already been launched. So this is, this is our bread and butter business. We're launching with, you know, 17 companies globally. Uh, we ultimately have the largest universe of gaming, gaming-related companies under coverage out there on the sell side. Um, so, you know, we're glad to help any way we can. Yeah, you guys are sort of the go-to when it comes to this stuff. So, you know, it's great that uh, you're up and running, and we, of course, wish you the best of luck. I'm sure that you won't need it, but, um, uh, you know, congratulations. No, it was great, and uh, it was certainly great to meet everybody on the phone today. All right, I'm going to go around the table, and the rest of you guys can tell people where they can track you down. So, Mr. Jeff Simpson, where can people find you? First, just want to say thanks, Richard, and uh, my uh, my stuff's online at in businesslasvegas.com. Dr. Dave Schwartz, how about you? I'm at gaming.unlv.edu and diescast.com. And my good friend, Mr. Chuck Monster. You can find me at vegastripping.com. And thank you again, Rich, very much for joining us today. Absolutely great. Great time. Yeah, my, I agree. My pleasure. All right, guys, you can find me at ratevegas.com. Thanks to you all, and have a fantastic weekend. Mm-hmm.